here now, the vision of the one some come to call John the Revelator had in chapter 7 of the book of Revelation, beginning in verse 9 through verse 10. After this, I looked, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Here ends the reading of these words. May God grant us wisdom and courage for interpretation. One often hears how strange it is that perhaps the most puzzling and mysterious book of the Bible is called the book of Revelation. By the way, if you're keeping score at home, there's no S on the end of the word Revelation. Yet those who are willing to probe its cryptic codes will find words used in worship and in some of the best music ever produced by and for the church. The verses we read just a moment ago, have inspired themselves countless hymns, songs, poems, sermons, and theological discussions and debate. There is something beautiful about this vision of what humanity looks like when we get it right. For when we get it right, we come together from every nation, tribe, people, and language, and we celebrate one another in unity. But this book of Revelation was not written during the best of times for Christians, interestingly enough. It was actually written during a time of tribulation. Now that's an interesting word. The word tribulation literally means grinding, which is derived from the Latin word tribulum. And a tribulum, you see, was a threshing sledge for beating the stems and husks of grains. And so during this era, some Gentile Christians confronted with persecution and possible death, uh, they stood up and they became martyrs, and yet others weakened under the weight of this grinding hammer of tribulation, and they left the faith altogether. And if left unchecked, the large number of defections could have resulted in the absolute disappearance of Christianity from the very face of the earth. Now... Let me lean into the microphone just a bit. I have a confession to make. Thank you for gasping appropriately. <laughs> and my confession may strike you as an odd one coming from a Christian minister of some 24 years. Will you promise not to judge me too quickly when I share it with you? Okay. Here goes. There are some days when I almost, did you hear that word? There are some days when I almost wish that Christianity had vanished from the face of the earth. Gasp again. Thank you. But it's not because I don't love Jesus. It's not because I don't love the way of Jesus or his teachings. It's mostly because so many expressions of Christianity today do not represent the spirit and teachings of the one we call Jesus of Nazareth. 
For instead of embracing diversity, many expressions of Christianity today do the opposite and they demand conformity. And this is actually not in keeping with the original trajectory of our faith tradition as Christians. We were to be the original embracers of people from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnicities, even different religious backgrounds. It's all in the Bible. That's who we were originally, and that's who we are when we get it right today. Now, Christianity began as a group who was being hammered by that sledge of tribulation, that is, by the Roman government. But today, in America, with a solid 70 to 80% of our citizens self-professing to be Christians, Christians have far too often used our majority numbers for the sake of winning petty little culture wars and ensuring that our own religion comes out with the upper hand. This is a perversion of our faith. And sadly, when the Christian religion is used for petty little culture war victories, it does not look a thing like Jesus or how he intended for his followers to live. For he said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. In addition, many of our fellow Christian tribes have gotten sucked into using our faith for the purpose of stamping God's name on legislation and policies in the political, secular realm, which promote wealth and war at the expense of human compassion. And this usually happens at the expense of diversity and at the expense of the humanity of the marginalized persons in our society. In many cases, Christians have actually, here we go, become the ones doing the tribulating, the grinding down, the causing the tribulation that is experienced. Not experiencing the tribulation from elsewhere, but causing tribulations that Muslims, for example, are actually experiencing in our country. The vast majority of Christian churches are causing tribulation and turmoil for members of the LGBTQ community in our country. The vast majority of Christian churches are silent in the face of continued problematic racism in this country and are actually complicit in their silence. This is contributing to the continued tribulation for persons of color. Most Christian churches are actually more known for what they are against than who or what they are for. The Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. once said, It is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. He might have been talking about race, but the same could be said for socioeconomic class as well. We Christians, like all human beings, we tend to self-select people that are most like ourselves and form like-minded, self-resembling cliques, even when we're not aware we're doing it. It's human nature. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is that early followers of Jesus were taught to embrace diversity. And if we are going to look and act like Jesus in today's world, we cannot be the ones causing the tribulation, the grinding down the humanity of others. We must be the ones leading the way by embracing diversity. And so really, friends, the question is not, well, what would Jesus do, but rather, what would Jesus have me do? And what 
did Jesus actually do that we already know about and don't have to guess or wonder about? You see, like Jesus, we must cherish and respect and honor those from other faith traditions without attempting to convert them to our own beliefs or practices. For example, like Jesus, he taught us that not all people of other faith traditions were bad, nor should they be demonized. For the Samaritans would have been to early Christians like modern-day Muslims are to Christians today. A faith tradition with some shared ancestry and spiritual leaders whose religion had mostly roots in common, yet came from other countries and had a different prophet. And yet they were growing in number, the, the Samaritans were, near Jerusalem. And Jesus listened to Samaritans, and he believed the Samaritan woman at the well and took her word for the things that she told him. Now this was scandalous. Believe Samaritans? They're outsiders. They're heretics. Uh, not only did he believe the Samaritan woman, but Jesus told one of the most famous stories in the, in the Christian scriptures, the parable of the Good Samaritan, in which... He made the Samaritan the hero of the story because the Samaritan was the one who showed compassion and responded to the injured man. Samaritans would have likely had a different color of skin than many Jewish people. Samaritans would have had a different religion from Jewish people and certainly from the early Christians. But Jesus embraced our diversity and made the Samaritan the hero of the story. It would have been the same parable today, I believe, if he were here. He just might tell you a story and call it the good Muslim the Bible has often been used and abused in order to maintain racist, tribalistic, homophobic, sexist attitudes and practices. It still happens in the vast majority of Christian congregations and traditions today, especially across the Bible belt, if you will, of the United States. As the Reverend Danny Bradfield, pastor of Bixby Knowles Christian Church, has so eloquently put it, the Bible is clear. Moabites are bad. They were not allowed to dwell among God's people. You can look that up for yourself in Deuteronomy 23. But then comes the story of Ruth the Moabite, which challenges the prejudice against Moabites. He went on to say, the Bible is clear. People from Uz are evil. You can look that up for yourself in Jeremiah 25. And yet, in the story of Job, a man from Uz is the most blameless person on the face of the earth. The Bible is clear. No foreigners or eunuchs are allowed. You can look that up for yourself in Deuteronomy 23. But then comes the story of an African eunuch welcomed without condition into the life of the church. You can look that up for yourself in Acts chapter 8. The Bible is clear. God's people hated Samaritans. And yet, Jesus tells a story that shows not all Samaritans were bad. In fact, some are heroes. The story may begin, you see, with prejudice, discrimination, and animosity, but the Spirit always moves God's people toward openness and welcome, towards inclusion, towards acceptance, and towards affirmation of each and every human being. For each and every human being is created in the very image of the divine. So pretending the people of God have always gotten it right when it comes to embracing diversity, it really helps no one. Admitting that we have not always embraced diversity well actually gives us 
more credibility and not less. Pretending that we are all the same will not make us embrace diversity any better either. Admitting we are not all the same actually builds bridges of understanding and peace from one of us to the next. So when the church gets it right, we do not have to pretend to be perfect. When the church gets it right, we may admit we have not always embraced diversity as we should have or could have. And when the church gets it right, we can say we are sorry for the ways that we have come up short in embracing diversity while promising to do better in the same breath. So the goal of this faith we call Christianity, founded by the son of a Jewish carpenter, is not to have our faith sit atop the culture wars and therefore dictate our Christian values to the rest of the country, but rather to use our Christian values to help us sit at the feet of those who are different than we are, to help us wash the feet of people who are vastly different than we are, to serve people who are vastly different than we are, to listen to people who are different than we are, to respect them, to honor them, to cherish their diverse beliefs and practices as much as our own. Our goal then, according to how Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, is to make earth look more like heaven. So when you pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it opens up that that is the goal to make this place look more like heaven. And John the Revelator gave us a vision of what heaven looks like in the scripture lesson from Revelation today. There were people from every nation and tribe, people and language. Heaven is diverse. And in heaven, these diverse people will celebrate with one another. And this is what we are called to do in our time here in our own community on our own planet to shape this place we call home into the beautiful, diverse, beloved community Jesus lived and died for. What is the kingdom of God like? Oh, really, I'm asking. Jesus often began parables or stories that way. I think if Jesus were among us in teaching here today, he might have asked, what is the kingdom of God like? And then he would have gone right into this. The kingdom of God is like a women's soccer game. Did you see the story or video clip that went viral this past week on social media? Teammates from Jordan's Shabab Al-Urdan soccer club had just kicked the ball away from one of their opponents and a player from the Amman soccer club when that player suddenly stopped mid-match. Now, the athlete was never identified, but she turned away from the action as her hijab came loose and her hair began to show. And as she knelt down on the ground to readjust her hijab, five players from the opposing team, who were not wearing hijabs themselves, ran to form a tight circle around her, holding that circle for nearly 30 seconds in the middle of play so that she could adjust her hijab and do it privately. And as soon as the player got up, the two teams went back to competing. And this act of sportsmanship took place during the final women's league match held in October of last year, according to Storyful, which shared the video last week. Now, this video went viral with people online pointing out that this display of sportsmanship crosses both sports and religion. And ABC News did not immediately hear back from the team, but best-selling author... Glennon Doyle, who is married to U.S. soccer star Abby Wambach, 
who, who happens to be an active member of one of our sister congregations in the United Church of Christ, by the way, shared the video of this story on Instagram with a caption noting how the viral moment shows what women do for each other. She said, this is our mood today. When one of us needs us, we stop, we huddle up, and we protect each other. Could there be a better description or example of how the church should embrace the diversity in our world? Whether or not someone is on our team, whether or not they practice our own religion, whether or not they have the same color of skin, when we see someone who needs support, no questions asked, no prerequisites or strings attached, boom, we stop, we huddle up, and we protect one another, every single other. We embrace diverse companions because diversity does not threaten our faith, nor does diversity threaten our world. Diversity strengthens our faith, and diversity strengthens our world. And because the world, after all, is not changed by our opinions, but by our example and by our actions. So, my friends, do not accept anything less from your faith. Do not accept any, any uh, brand of politics or any worldview or any cultural norm that would dis- diminish the full, complete humanity of another person. Now, unfortunately, there is a foul wind blowing in some circles, and unfortunately, this wind has blown into the church houses across these plains, and this wind suggests that we should demonize the poor among us. There is a foul wind blowing in some circles and in, unfortunately, some church houses, which seeks to perpetuate the myth that LGBTQ persons are somehow less deserving of God's love or less deserving of a place at the table uh, than straight persons. There is a foul wind blowing which is seeking to normalize an irrational fear of foreigners, immigrants, and aliens. There is a foul wind blowing which is seeking to minimize the fact that racism is rampant in our world by pretending things will just get better if we ignore them. So let us make no mistake about it. This foul wind is not the wind of the Holy Spirit. This foul wind is drenched in the stench, the unmistakable stench of fear. And this foul wind reeks of self-preservation And the doctrine of scarcity, the silly notion that God's creation does not have enough room, enough love, enough employment, enough land, enough for all of us. I guess I'm one of those silly, naive, utopianistic folks who believes the best about others who are different than me. I suppose that uh, maybe part of it's because I've made it my business to have some friends and companions in life who are from other countries who practice other religions, who express their sexual or gender identity differently than I do, or who were brought up in a different socioeconomic group than me, and I'm sure this is part of it, intentionality. But why? Why would I intentionally build those kinds of relationships? Because it's my calling as a Christian. And because I truly believe that diversity enriches my life and our world and that it makes our world stronger, not weaker as a society. You know, it wasn't always this way for me. I wasn't always part of an incredible church family like this one who sees the value of diversity. The world has seen enough of the type of Christianity that mostly operates out of fear and seeks to make the culture conform to its practices and its beliefs 
The time has come for the church to truly be the church we were created to be. The time has come for us to lead the way and to seek to embrace the gifts of diversity that God places in our path each and every day. And we embrace diversity because of our faith in the way of Jesus and because we are following his example. We embrace diversity because by doing so, we put more love into the world. We embrace diversity because it honors the humanity of our companions in this journey we call life. We embrace diversity because it makes us better, it makes us stronger, it makes us less fearful and more faithful. We embrace diversity because it honors the image of God in each and every other human being on this planet. We embrace diversity because it expands our own limited, narrow worldviews, our own limitations, and it diminishes our own need to feel superior to others. We embrace diversity because it tears down the walls between nations and individuals, between races, between language barriers, and between varying gender and sexual expressions. And we embrace diversity because it helps us live into God's dream for this world. That this earth will look a great deal more like heaven. It's God's dream. Jesus shared it. John the Revelator caught a glimpse of it in a vision, and there was a great crowd that no one could number. And they were there from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. And this victory, oh, this victory, friends, this victory is moved forward. And this victory is advanced into reality as we embrace the diverse gifts of all of the people of this planet. So, with arms wide open, let us embrace the beautiful diversity around us in the name of the one called Jesus of Nazareth. Amen.